This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hello, everyone. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 363, recorded on Monday, March the 5th, 2018. Welcome to the program, Jason. How's it going where you are? It is going, uh, well, it is what it is, Chris. Yep. (laughs) It is what it is. You are away on business in a foreign country and having nothing but audio problems. So we hope we can get through this. Yeah, so I... I'm having problems connecting all my audio equipment that I dragged down here. So uh, basically what I'm doing is just calling in on Skype on my phone and uh, hoping everything works out uh, for the best. Well, me too. Me too. I, I think it will. I'm f- keeping my fingers crossed. And in that, uh, you know, with that in mind, I think we should just get right going here and not screw around. Yeah, because the uh, the Skype gods can be uh, vindictive. So we'll just uh, we'll just move on. And I wanted to, uh, to to say that uh, I love the Skype gods and uh, I'm not saying anything bad about them whatsoever. They're fantastic. No, no, no. They are. They are wonderful. We praise them and uh, we hope they smile upon us today. All praise the Skype gods. <laughs> Very good. All right. Well, let's get right into it then. We are going to recap The Walking Dead Season 8, Episode 10. I can't do like that. I wasn't ready. The Lost and the Plunderers. Thank you to Isa for that title read from Countess Thorpe UK, and that was sent in by her dad, Ian. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, she wasn't ready, and then she did it, and I thought she did a great job. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that's one of my favorites. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, that's good. I'm sure uh, Isa and uh, Ian will be delighted to hear that. It was, re- it was really good. Yeah. All right, well... Let's get going. Cold open. Um, big black title card on screen, Jason. We get title cards for this episode. Yeah, it keeps everything nice and organized, in my opinion. Chapters, even. That's right. So you're a fan of this sort of thing? I am, actually. All right. Well, maybe they should do it more often. Now, it's not the only time we've had title cards on the show, uh, but it is pretty rare. This episode starts with Michonne. And we see her and Rick at Carl's grave. They've marked it with a cross made of sticks, which is something they do. And Rick hangs his gun on the cross as Michonne goes to kill off some nearby zombies. Rick kneels down and then takes the gun back. So he changed his mind or, or what was he doing there? Uh, I think it was just a ritual. Here, take this. No, you're not going to need it. So, Or maybe, maybe he heard Carl uh, speak to him and say, you know, Dad, what are you doing? You need that. <laughs> it's an important tool in this world, so don't leave it here where it's useless. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, he, Rick takes the gun. Michonne looks around Alexandria and then goes to close the front gate, which makes sense at this point. You want to keep the zombies out, and it seems like there's already enough inside the town anyways. And some zombies are trying to sort of push their way through and as she's closing it, one of their faces gets stuck on a piece of rebar and just peels the skin right off in a pretty gross, nasty display. That was uh, that was both excellent and disgusting, all rolled into one lovely package. It, it really was. There's nothing like a good face skin peeling, and that's what we got. Yeah. Uh, back with Rick, he grabs a walkie from a dead savior, then walks right past Michonne, uh, which I thought... 
he showed a certain amount of like, I don't know what's the word disinterest or uh, just kind of in his own little being in his own little world there. Like he just walked by without barely even looking at her or saying anything oh, he, to her. He's in shock. She's in shock. Uh, I think everything is reasonable. Like that all seemed like a reasonable exchange to me. They're just, they're both you know completely fucked up by the whole situation and uh, totally in shock. And it doesn't surprise me that they would have that, uh, that, you know, hundred yard stare and not acknowledge stuff that's going on right around them. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably true. I mean, my first reaction was like, man, he seems really cold to her, but uh, what they've been through, you could explain that quite easily, I think with with, with what's been going on. So Michonne goes back up to their house and notices Carl and Judith's blue handprints on the porch. That was a rather touching little moment, you know, where she saw that. We, she sees more zombies showing up in the town and goes inside to tell Rick that they have to go. And as they leave, was that the orange backpack he put on? Oh, it absolutely was the orange backpack. That was awesome to see that. That thing has survived longer than many characters on the show. Uh, well, it's, uh, it, it's also one of those things that everybody who owns that backpack dies, right? Like the original guy that had it died and then Carl had it and now he's dead and now Rick has it. Did anybody use it in between the original guy and Carl? Uh, that's a good question. Rick might have had it at some point as well, but yeah. I'm not really sure. I, you know, I, I, I wonder if Abe was ever carrying it. Glenn, maybe. Hmm. Cursed backpack. And it's orange, like, uh, like the oranges in the Godfather series. There's oranges. Yeah. Every time you see orange or oranges specifically in the Godfather series, someone dies. Well. Wow. That's uh, obviously the same thing here. <laughs> yeah, only in the Godfather, the uh, the person that was dressing the sets actually put out a statement or responded to a, a direct question of did the oranges signify death, and the answer is no. Uh, most of the sets were pretty drab, and I wanted to have some color, so sometimes I put in oranges to just add a color, and it's just coincidental that someone died shortly huh. thereafter. Just spruce it up with some citrus fruit. Why not? That's yeah. And then somebody dies. That'll do. They could have used limes too. That's true. (laughs) So anyways, Rick and uh, Michonne go outside. They're packing up a van and they notice that the gazebo nearby is on fire, which you'd think they would just leave it alone. But uh, Michonne says that Carl used to sit up on top of the roof. So they go try to put out the fire, but they end up having to fight off a whole bunch of zombies and then run away without actually putting out the fire. Yeah. Cause, uh, Fire extinguishers are not meant to put out like something that's fully engulfed. It's uh, meant to put out a small fire that you can get at in in one shot kind of thing. Right. So if if you're in a room that's on fire or in a gazebo that's completely engulfed in flames, the chances of you putting that out with one or two fire extinguishers are slim. Yeah, they managed to take out more zombies with those fire extinguishers than actually douse flames, I think. Yeah, well, it was also, it, they didn't kill all the zombies either, so it was very fitting, uh, you know, uh, drawing a parallel between the fire and uh, and the zombies. Like, you can't you can't win. Like, having, you, you have to have a lot more firepower, firepower, get it? Yeah. Uh, you have to have a lot more uh, at your disposal to put out that kind of destruction than, uh, than simple, small devices, like handguns and or fire extinguishers. Right, you need a lot more firepower power to combat fire of that magnitude oh i don't know <laughs> yeah you gotta fight you gotta fight fire with fire does that mean you gotta fight zombies with zombies maybe maybe it's not, it's not a bad idea really it isn't 
somebody needs to try that. Anyways, they run away and they jump in their van and they leave the Alexandria safe zone, which isn't so safe or isn't so Alexandria anymore. I don't think it's not even really a zone anymore. I mean, the the, some of the walls are down. The zombies are over overrun the place. Yeah, it's it's uh, there's not a lot left. I don't I, I don't think that they're ever coming back there. Do you what do you think? Do you think that'll be even a location in the show anymore? No, they're pretty they're pretty good about, uh, you know, burning things down when they leave. Yeah, it's true. We, we got to hit the road, guys. So light everything on fire and, and let's get out of here. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> All right. Well, as they're driving, Rick says out loud, um, wondering or speculating on what Carl meant. Uh, he questions if he meant to just stop fighting and surrender or what exactly. And Michonne suggests that they read his letters, but Rick says, no, not yet. And she realizes that Carl wrote a letter to Negan, uh, which is probably a big deal and something Rick has to deal with, but he says he needs to go talk to Jadis. So, um, uh, because he thinks they'll be on their side because the saviors saw them at the sanctuary together. So he wants to go and recruit her once again. (laughs) Yeah. You know, third time's the charm. Yeah, exactly. Try again. Why not? Uh, they get to the dump and as they come through the shipping container that kind of leads into the center clearing, uh, a pile, a big pile of garbage falls and blocks their exit. So that was sort of a trap that was set up and the place is oddly empty except for a big crowd of zombies. Yeah. And we don't exactly know what's going on at this point, but I really, really did like the way this scene ended and we go into the opening credits. And in fact, I must admit, I really thought this was a fantastic cold open overall. Yeah. I didn't even like you said last week, I didn't even realize we're still in the cold open at this point. Yeah. Like what? All of a sudden we get the opening credits. What the hell? Exactly. It's a, it was a little longer, which is fine. And I, and I love it when that happens, you know, you're just sitting there watching it and then suddenly you realize, man, there hasn't been credits yet. But I thought, you know, despite the sort of bad idea of going to try and put out the fire instead of just leaving, I thought everything here was, was really well done. Um, and the way it ended, there were two great shots. I thought of, um, Rick and Michonne kind of being surrounded by all these zombies and we get these cool zoom ins on them, right? Just as they turn towards the camera and it really hammers home the, the kind of panic that they, or, or at least the fear that they're experiencing in that moment. Right. And it reminded me of, well, you know, the Quentin Tarantino movie grindhouse, right? Oh yeah. And you know, I don't know if it reminded me of that specifically, or if it was more the sort of genre that it reminded me of where, you know, someone would be in, in danger or something shocking just happens and it kind of zooms in on their face with a funny camera angle. It kind of reminded me of that a little bit. And I thought it was really great. It, it was something a little different for The Walking Dead. Really liked it. Uh, yeah, he did that in, um, oh, what was the name of the, uh, Kill Bill. He did that in Kill Bill too with, uh, with the music and the zooms in, zooming in and stuff. He, uh, he, he loves those old pulp uh, movies and uh, he adds that in. And yeah, it, it reminded me of that too. And, you know, really the, the title cards even kind of reminded me of that, uh, uh, that kind of genre as well. Like, you can, I, I think those kind of movies had title cards that told you what was going on. Yeah, no, you're right. Actually, now that you say that they, they did. And, and Tarantino did that. And, you know, he was, he sort of brought that style almost to the mainstream a little bit. 
uh, or at least, at least I, from, from my perspective, I mean, I'm sure there's probably other filmmakers doing that, but anyways, this whole thing reminded me a bit of it. And I thought the walking dead did a nice job kind of homaging it in a way, or, you know, I don't want to use the word imitating, but just sort of doing their thing and taking some influence from, from that kind of pulpy grindhouse sort of genre. Yep. So after the opening credits, we are to Negan. We get the Negan title card. He is on a walkie-talkie. He's instructing his people to search every nook and cranny and hole for the Alexandrians. <laughs> Not just telling people to search them. He was, uh, what was the line? He was, stick your, your you know, penis into various nooks and crannies <laughs> to search them. He didn't you say know, he said, stick your dick in them or something like that. It was very phallic, the yeah. language he used. I, I'm going to put the title, uh, the uh, sub-closed captioning on here and redo what, uh, what he actually said. It was, it was pretty graphic and pretty, uh, 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 pretty gross, and yeah. it's a bad way to search for things because <laughs> usually you, you would want to look and maybe stick a stick in things to search, but if, uh, <laughs> you know, if you're kind of hard up, then uh, using, you know, your your penis uh <laughs> let's okay though so let's get balls deep in every nook and cranny cranny they might hole up in right is the so it was very phallic he didn't actually use the word penis or dick but uh it was very phallic and it's a really dangerous and bad way to search for things never in my opinion <laughs> never lead with your crotch it's you know <laughs> yeah especially if you're, you're you know searching in the unknown Right, right. It's like, hey, I wonder if they're hiding behind that bush over there. I don't know. I'll go stick my wiener in there and we'll find out. Yeah. Look at this hole that I found in this uh, in this wall. Uh, I wonder what's on the other side of this hole. Let's have a look. <laughs> or something. <laughs> yeah. There's a hole in the ground. I don't know if a snake lives in there. Only one way to find out. <laughs> or a badger yeah. or something with claws. All right. So never search with your dick. Um, but that's what Negan suggests. Anyways, he's on the walkie and then Simon comes in and Negan praises him initially for his handling of the hilltop. And what he's talking about is getting everyone back there and sort of getting them back up and running and providing for them. But Simon seems very agitated and he starts questioning Negan about his whole plan. And he ultimately suggests that he thinks they should just kill everybody and cut their losses with these nearby communities because it seems to be just too much trouble keeping them in line. Yeah, two things that struck me uh, about Simon's uh, speech here. Yeah. One is he used the phrase Rick and the gang, which I'm not sure anybody but the internet has used before now. Really? Uh, I don't recall it ever being used in the show. I I know that we've mentioned Rick and the gang at like cool in the gang. That's how I think of it. Yeah. Uh, and he also said the garbage people, which is a way we've referred to them in the past as well. I'm not sure that that's come out on the show either. So Simon used two ways of referring to these groups of people that at the very least you and I use but I'm not sure they've ever come out in the show before. I may be wrong. And if I am, somebody please let me know. But uh, those two ways of referring to those two groups just jumped right out at me. You know, Rick and the gang, uh, you're absolutely right. I don't think that's come up on the show before, but it's definitely something we've said and probably other people online have said. The garbage people, I feel like, you know, maybe hasn't 
directly been on the show before, but I, part of me thinks that Simon was sort of almost double entendering <laughs> it a right. little bit where he was saying, you know, yes, they're literally garbage people because they live in a garbage dump, but they're also figuratively just a bunch of garbage people. Right. You know, and I've been thinking about that. This, uh, you know, what struck me as this, uh, about the garbage dump in this case, What? it's not a garbage dump. There's not a single garbage bag or a food package or, uh, it's a junkyard. It's, it's junk, not garbage. Right. And that's, that's a, a big distinction because, uh, junk doesn't smell like garbage does. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, they're, yeah, they're, they're junkers. And that comes out a little bit later in, uh, in Jadis's speech and i'm sure we'll be talking about jadis later specifically the way she talks yep uh, but anyway uh that just that struck me as a little bit weird but i'm getting ahead of myself so let's uh let's stick to what simon and negan are saying right so um he, simon says that these people aren't really learning their lessons so we just got to let's just cut this and we'll just kill them all and move on to something else but negan shuts that shit down as he is known to do, and he instructs Simon to go kill one scavenger and deliver the standard message to them and make them fall in line. So kill one, show, you know, that sign of power and get them to fall in line. Negan says they are still a resource, even though they double cross them. And uh, what they do, saving people is hard, but it damn well works. Negan's got the for plan. Now. Yeah, for now. He's got the plan. Open to a point, right? Yeah, and he, he wants to stick to it, right? He wants to stick to their plan. Um, now, at this point, some other saviors bring in a delivery from the hilltop, which is a big zombie in a box. Sorry, a zombie in a big box. <laughs> <laughs> and they open it. Simon recognizes the guy as Dean from the satellite outpost. And Simon says he's going to kill every last one of those farmers, but Negan screams at him to just do his job. They also kill the zombie in the box, and um, yeah, so they're trying to send a message. The hilltop was trying to send a message saying, "You're, we're going to kill one of your guys every day if you don't, uh, I don't know, do stop tormenting us, maybe." Right, and when when Simon said, "I'm going to kill every one of those farmers," my brain went, and I didn't say farmers. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Yeah. But you know what? They're allowed to say the F word on the show now. And they even told us, remember, that we're probably going to get one or two in the back half of this season. So yeah. instead they went with farmers. But the point of this whole thing is obviously Simon and Negan are no longer really seeing eye to eye on how to handle the situation with these local communities. Yeah. So that's it for them. We go to Enid now. Uh, and her and Aaron are trying to explain to Cindy and the other Oceansiders that they need their help, but they're not too happy, of course, because Enid shot and killed Natanya, uh, just, <laughs> well, I don't know, a few hours or minutes before this, even though it was three months 14 ago. 14 seconds before this. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, so the Oceansiders handcuffed them to a radiator and are trying to decide whether to kill them. Enid and Aaron are left alone for a few minutes, and she says that she had no choice but to kill Natanya. She forced her to do it. Yeah. Have you ever been uh, handcuffed to a radiator? Um, only once for about fourteen hours, but I was okay. Yeah, okay. Because in I, 
I don't know whether it's just that I've uh, every time I've had a radiator in where I lived, uh, they all seem to be uh, old. Yeah. And I think that with a little bit of effort, you can probably pry the thing off the wall because uh, it's it's heavy, right? It's full of water, so you can just pry it off the wall. And I think the uh, the only part you can really get a handcuff around is right in the weak spot when you when it twists, and it would all just break, and the water would pour up. I think you could get away. I think you might be right. I mean, my house has radiators and some are the old ancient like style that are, uh, they actually don't attach the wall. They're sitting on the floor, but even then I feel like, yeah, you could, you could pry it over. Yeah. With a little bit of force, you could pry that thing right off. Yeah. And the newer ones I have are, yeah, they mount to the wall. And I mean, at the very least you could yank them out of the drywall. I mean, I know they're probably in studs, but with a little force, you could probably rip that thing off fairly easily. And it's all speculation. I know there's probably people out there that have actually been handcuffed to radiators and didn't get away and are probably screaming at the internet right now that, uh, that that's not really the case. But that's just my opinion. And anecdotally from radiators that I've had access to in my life. <laughs> Very good. Yes. <laughs> well, um, hopefully no one out there who has been handcuffed to a radiator is too upset and, uh, we do hope you're doing okay now. Yeah. Well, the Oceansiders come back in and they say they're going to take them out to the beach, which I guess means kill them. I guess they take no, people. No, man, that's, they're going to the beach. That's always a good thing. Are you sure? I'm not a huge beach guy myself, so. Me neither, but it doesn't mean you're going to get murdered. No, I it guess not. It just means you're going to go to the beach and sit on the beach and whoever's taking you to the beach probably thinks it's a good thing. And just because you don't think it's a good thing, and I don't think it's a good thing. I hate going to the beach. But, uh, you know, going to the beach usually is generally, hey, let's go to the beach, not let's go to the beach so that I can murder you. Well, I'm going to be in Los Angeles for a week in about three weeks from now around Easter, and I'm definitely going to have to go to the beach while we're there. So hopefully uh, nothing bad happens when I'm on the beach. I wish you all the best and a complete lack of murders. Thanks. Jeez. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think in this case, it means that the Oceansiders are taking them to the beach to murder them. But Enid convinces Cindy not to do it by saying that it won't make her feel any better. And she says if they kill them, their people are eventually going to come looking and they'll wipe them out, you know. So uh, don't forget, the Oceansiders don't really have any or many weapons because Rick already took them all. So if they're if the rest of Rick and the gang come looking for Enid and Aaron, well, it's probably not going to end well for the Oceansiders. So this seems to change Cindy's mind and instead they take them to the forest and let them go and tell them not to come back. Um, and Enid now suggests that they need to figure out, the Oceansiders do, they need to figure out the difference between friends and enemies, uh, because they don't seem to be making any friends. That was a very good bluff by Enid, because I honestly think that Rick and the gang have forgotten about them already. It does kind of seem like it. I mean, Maggie would be the only one who would sort of really know. I mean, Enid was sort of her right-hand woman for yeah. for a while, but... Ma Maggie's got some shit going on right now. She probably, you know, a couple weeks down the road will be sitting down and uh, eating some, I, I don't know, turnip soup and saying, oh shit, Enid! Yeah, yeah, exactly. They've been, <laughs> where the hell did they even go? <laughs> oh man, I forgot that they left. Yeah. I hope they're okay. Oh well, 
Go back to my turnip soup. Yeah, no, you're 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 kind of right. Um, I I don't know, and you know Maggie and Rick and everybody, they've got a lot of other stuff going on right now. So wherever Enid and Aaron are is probably not top of mind for them. Yeah. Anyhow, uh, they Aaron tells Enid to go back to their car, but he's going to stay and continue trying to convince the Oceansiders to join the fight. Uh, you know, Eden, Enid, 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 <laughs> Eden, Enid. Anyways, she, uh, she initially kind of is reluctant, but he says she has to go tell Maggie what they're doing and not to come. Um, so she leaves and then Aaron just kind of weirdly kneels behind a tree in waiting. That was a beautiful tree. I don't know if you noticed that, but I was really, uh, I was really enamored with that tree. It was so huge and just a beautiful, massive piece of wood. Uh, anyway, I was very happy with that tree. So I didn't notice that it was weird and creepy. Well, it's like, Hey, Hey, nice tree. Well, I'm not sure what his plan is because he says to Enid that, you know, she's like, if you go back there, they'll kill you. And he says, Oh, I'm not going back there but he's going to stay where he is. Like, I'm not sure exactly what his plan is right now. Uh, yeah, he's got a secret plan. He's, he's just being weird. So maybe he's trying to do something else and he doesn't even want to tell her what's going on. I, I don't know, but the point is she needs to go back and make sure Maggie doesn't come because that's just going to make things worse. According to him, maybe he's got some severe gastrointestinal issues and just wants her to go back to the car for now. Right. Came up with a decent excuse so that he could squat behind that tree. (laughs) I just need you out of the picture for a few minutes here. Maybe half an hour. I need like half an hour (laughs) and you know, with this tree and some leaves and maybe a book, but uh, (laughs) I'll catch up. Oh, this tree's going to be well fertilized in a few minutes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, right. Well, that's it for them. We go to Simon, big Simon title card. Uh, Lots of Simon in this episode, Jason. You should be really happy. I I was very happy. I think this is one of my favorite episodes of this whole season so far. And part of it is because of the amount of Simon. Yeah, well, he leaves the sanctuary telling his men that they're heading to the dump. And I thought they did a great edit here where Simon sort of goes out the door of the sanctuary and comes out the door of the garbage dump. So yeah, they, they just, nice. they just skip over the, the travel, which is great. Cause we don't need to see any of that. So they arrive there. He asks Jadis for an apology for double crossing them. And Jadis tries to claim that she was not double crossing them, that she was delivering Rick to them. <laughs> which Simon right. doesn't really buy into. Well, yeah, that's exactly why they all turned and ran, right? Here yeah. you go, bye. <laughs> that's right. So they started shooting. We just got the hell out of there. Yeah, you know when, the, when you order a pizza and the guy shows up and just kind of throws the pizza at the door and then bolts? You <laughs> that, know? that happens, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's, you know, a pretty standard delivery. Right, of course, especially if you've paid online or something. Yeah. (laughs) Well, uh, Simon says that Negan is willing to forgive them, but they're going to be taking all their guns and ammunition. Yeah. Do they have beds? Because they should have taken all their beds. Oh, yeah, they should have taken their mattresses and then lit them on fire on the road down the, you know, half a mile away or something. Yeah. Uh, Simon says that they have a need for their weapons, so... Here's what the actual plan was. They'd use up all their ammo shooting the zombies so they could get out of the sanctuary, then show up at the junkyard, take all their weapons, and now they have uh, an arsenal again. Yeah, so they don't need uh, they don't need Eugene at all now to make more bullets. 
well, they certainly, certainly the immediate need is gone. Maybe he still might have to down the road, but, uh, I thought this was actually a pretty good little turn of events that makes sense. It's like, we're going to, it's not realistic to make all these bullets right away right now. So if we're going to use up our ammo, we're just going to go to our buddies over at the junkyard and take all their weapons because it's faster. Yeah. So good idea. Good idea. The scavengers protest, of course, but Jadis eventually agrees and Simon's guys start gathering the weapons. He then compliments her on some of her art, which is a big painting of a cat, I think. And um, he questions why they live at the dump and what's the deal with the helipad and solar panels. Totally. Right. Exactly. And, you know, we Rick saw that helicopter back in the first half of the season and it hasn't come up since. So nope. something's going on. So th this junkyard yeah. where she said it was a dump, I don't believe her. I think she was lying. Well, when she said it was a dump. I think that this is a location uh, that is of significance that they turned into a dump as a ruse. Yes, I am on board with you. I agree with everything you just said because because Simon asks her, uh, what was this place? And she says it's a dump. And then Simon has a really weird line. He says, I just want to know if you know. Kind of implying that he knows what that place was, but he doesn't know if they know where they're living. So there's something about this junkyard that we're not being told and I think is important. You think it's uh, the presidential bunker where they, because they're near Washington, D.C., right? They so are. maybe it's the uh, the uh, secret military location where the president goes to uh, survive a zombie apocalypse. So you think there's something like underground or hidden away? Uh, yeah, I'm not really sure. But uh, if that was the case, like if it was a military installation, a secret military base, it would be well hidden already. And so they wouldn't need to cover it up with junk. So maybe it was something a little more overt that they had to cover up with junk yeah. in order to hide it. But I'm not really sure. Well, but the thing is, there's no way that the scavengers, Jadis and her crew, could put all that garbage there, to put, put all that junk there. It had to, they had to have found it that way. Um, so this may be a significant location where, and something happened in the early days of the zombie outbreak, like maybe there was a giant skyscraper there or something that, that crumbled and just left a huge pile of garbage all over the place. That would just be rubble though. That wouldn't be like, uh, couches yeah. and cushions and, uh, refrigerators and stuff. So where did it all come from then? I don't know. They have a fleet of uh, garbage trucks. They could have been collecting it for a year. Well, yeah, I suppose. I suppose. And, and, and it is kind of arranged into like a livable, uh, or a livable setup, right? Like there's pathways and there's, there's, um, uh, shipping containers that they can go in and out of. Right. So it, yeah. it seems like there's some kind of method to the madness there. Yes, absolutely. Because those, those shipping, shipping containers are definitely the key to that because they've been buried so that, uh, you can use the shipping containers to pass through the junk walls. Right. But, you know, scrambling over the junk walls is, uh, you know, hard for the zombies, for humans, for whatever. But, uh, yeah, so this whole thing and later, it, well, I'm getting ahead of myself again, but this whole thing has been sculpted 
right? It's just a matter of where did they get the materials? Was it was there already or did they have to ship it in from somewhere else? Yeah. Well, okay. Anyways, I think I think there's something we don't know here. And I get the feeling that Simon and the Saviors do know what's going on uh, at that location. So uh, I'm, I'm really curious to find out a little bit more. Hopefully we do. Yeah. Now Simon asks. Well, they can't. They can't not tell us now. Well, that's I mean, right. The you know when we first saw the scavengers, I noticed the helipad, and then we saw the helicopter, and now we're getting uh you know it's a little bit more in depth that Simon might know and she might know and yeah, there's too much here for them to ignore now. Absolutely. I, if they don't you know resolve this in uh, in the next year i'm going to start a letter writing campaign <laughs> what is the junkyard over and over and over again well i'll just I'll write a letter saying hey you, you did this and then this and then this and it's just you know bring it back around yeah and he, then uh, write that same letter every uh, 14 hours for 20 25 years and somebody will eventually pay attention i sure hope so i mean they can't dangle that kind of carrot and not let us get a taste that's right because I love carrots. Yeah, carrots are great. Now, Simon asks again for an apology, says he's not feeling the remorse. And to make his point, he shoots Brian, uh, yeah. scavenger Brian. And you think that's okay. There's the one he kills to make his point. Uh, Jadis starts to get upset, starts to panic a little bit. Simon shoots Tamiel, the other sort of right-hand man to Jadis. Uh, so that's two. And you're like, okay, maybe Simon is just a little upset. He's going to kill two. Um, and that's it. And they're going to, you know, they're going to get the message and then fall into line. Um, but that's not really what happens. Uh, Jadis gets really upset. She punches Simon down and suddenly she says a line to him that isn't in her weird, unusual way of speaking. And it, yeah. Uh, there is remorse, you son of a bitch. And it was coherent English? It was. So I'm going to do a, well, a, a really sort of a preemptive holy crap here. Chris in Toronto wrote in and said, did you notice the garbage lady's speech pattern returned to normal after all her people died? Well, we do get another scene later on in the episode where she says a lot more, but that line is where I first noticed it. That was the yeah. line where she dropped the act. Absolutely. Me too. That's exactly where I noticed it. I'm like, okay, dropping the facade now. Here we go. Yeah. And I got to admit, it made me really happy. I got really excited to hear that because it kind of, it just opens things up, right? You realize that there's more going on here. These aren't just extremely weird people, that this is something they're doing and there must be a reason for it. So have we heard anybody else speak in the, in the scavengers except for Jadis and Tamiel and what's his name, Brian? I, I think mostly just those two. I mean, there might've been a, a, a word here and there from other people, but really just the three of them. So maybe, so she got really upset when, uh, when they were shot, those two, those two people were shot and that's when she attacked Simon. So I'm wondering if they're, uh, you know, they're all married, the three of them. Like they're in like, a, you know, a couple is two people. So I like to call it a few where you have three people that are in, you know, a tight knit relationship. And they're all kind of married to each other. Maybe all the three of them were all married to each other and adopted this speech pattern just to uh, set them 
their little clique apart from the rest of the world. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe it's not everybody. Maybe it's just these three people that are in this relationship. Well, can't they just be like really close friends? Why do they have to be married? <laughs> well, they don't have to be married. I mean, they could just they could be really close friends. But uh, okay. she seemed awfully upset by the uh, the murder of these two people. Well, uh, it just it struck me as a little bit more than just the murder of your friends, right? It's it's the murder of a very dear loved one. So I thought maybe they're, you know, they're in a relationship. I don't know. I think you're under underestimating the the level of upset you'd feel. Like if we were you and I were standing somewhere and then Simon shot you in the face, I'd be really upset. Yeah, and but would you attack him? I I don't know. I mean, probably not Simon because there's no chance okay. of winning that fight. Say I'm standing there, you, me, and your wife are standing there, and then Simon shoots me in the face. He'd be like, holy shit, they just shot, he just shot Jason in the face. Okay, dude, you got to relax. And then he shoots your wife in the face. At that point, you're going to attack. Uh, okay, maybe, maybe. Uh, but I just think having someone, regardless of who it is, standing right next to you, just brutally murdered, I think, I think that's pretty uh, upsetting. And oh, it's, it's absolutely upsetting. But I'm just I think uh, for me, there would be a, a definite part of that exchange where I would pee my pants. Right. But I'm not sure that there would be a part of that exchange where I would attack Simon unless it was someone that uh, I couldn't live without. Sure. But I mean, well, OK, I see what you're saying. But I, I also think Jadis is just like you killed one person. He killed another one. And that was just too much for her, regardless of who it was. But right. uh, Simon goes down, and as he does, he spills blue paint and gets it all over his boot. And then he gets up, and he orders his people, all of his men there, to kill all the scavengers. And they do. So they murder all of the garbage people. Murder, murder, murder. Yep. But they don't just murder them. They're shot in the chest. That's right. Like, nobody gets nobody gets headshots. That's just a mean thing to do. Yeah. They they just they just sh they kill them all, but they leave them there to come back as walkers. And yeah. they don't kill Jadis. Um, but at this point we see Simon and his guys arriving back at the sanctuary. Simon tells Negan that it went well and that he delivered the standard message. <laughs> well, he did the exact opposite of what Negan told him to do. Go and kill one person. Yeah. And he let one person live. No, you're right. That's what I mean. He did the exact opposite, <laughs> but that's not what he tells Negan. He tells yeah. him, you know, it went just fine. Uh, Negan says he hasn't. Uh, you know what this means? What does this mean? This means friggin' Negan's going to find out and kill Simon and Simon's going to be off the show. Well, I hope not because I love Simon. Um, Negan may find this out, but maybe they're setting up Simon to to come to the other side like you know how um dwight has already kind of done that maybe something's going to happen there maybe simon is going to defect from being negan because he just no longer agrees with him uh, i don't think that could happen because uh rick and the gang are leaning towards not killing people and uh, even negan is leaning towards not killing people and Simon is on the other end of that spectrum of, I want to kill everybody. So, uh, you know, why would he defect to a, to, to, to a side that doesn't want to kill anybody? Simon just wants to kill everybody and get the hell out of there because uh, he's a quitter. <laughs> Man, you know, I can see what you're saying. Like, Simon is the one who's going to just go completely bonkers, bananas crazy and, and do something insane and get himself killed. Yeah. 
But I think he's. I think this means that Simon's going to die. Damn it. Well, all right. We're going to have to wait and find out as the season goes on. But I didn't really think of that. But you've sort of convinced me. Yeah. Sad, but true. Well, the rest of this scene is Negan saying that he hasn't heard from Gavin because he doesn't know that, well, Gavin's dead. And he sent a, a team to check on him. And then Rick calls Negan on the walkie. And we don't hear the end of that conversation yet, but Simon gazes down at the blue paint on his boots. So what's the deal with the blue paint, Jason? Because it reminds me of the paint that Carl and Judith used on their handprints. And now they've made a big deal of that paint on Simon's boots. I've okay. So I haven't made, I didn't make the connection between the blue paint on, uh, at the junkyard and the blue paint of the handprints. I'm not sure there is a connection there. I think the blue paint is a, uh, is a timing indicator. Like we know that's, Simon was hit with the blue paint and that's how it got spilled. And then earlier we saw Rick step in the blue paint that was already spilled. Yeah. And I thought that the blue paint was there in order to give us a clue that these two things weren't happening in, in the order that we saw them. Right. You, you could be very, you could be right about that. And I did pick up on that for sure, but I just couldn't, couldn't help. But like, why think, why would they have blue paint for the handprints and blue paint for this? sort of timing indicator it it just seems like more than a coincidence yeah it does now I, I didn't pick up on that but that's very interesting and i have no idea if that's significant yeah and and the way you know if if it was just meant for the audience why have simon kind of look down at his blue boots and look concerned it's it, it feels like he is you know, he knows that this is going to reveal something about the lie he just told Negan, but I haven't quite figured that out yet. Yeah, I think the writers have something in mind. If uh, if this is more than just a, a timing indicator, then there's uh, something cool going to happen with the blue paint. Yeah, I, I think there might be, but I haven't put it all together yet, so we'll have to wait and see. All right, next title card is Jadis. Uh, so Rick and Michonne, we go back in time now. Rick and Michonne are fighting through the zombies. Um, uh, no, not back in time, I guess, but. Well, it goes, we saw this earlier in the, in the show. So it seems like it's a jump back in time, but it's not a jump back in time. It's a jump to the present. Correct. That was a jump forward in time in the past when we saw it the first time. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> parse, parse that out. So Rick yeah. and Michonne are fighting through the zombies, which are, of course, all the scavengers who were killed by Simon. Uh, they climb up on the garbage and they find Jadis hiding up there. So she's all by herself. So <laughs> one thing I noticed uh, that I didn't like was that as soon as uh, Rick and Michonne climbed up on top, top of the uh, the garbage heap, uh, all of the zombies just forgot about them. It's like, oh, they, I can't, I'm no longer capable of looking up, so I might as well just wander around like there's nobody here that's living that I want to eat or kill. Yeah, I don't think they would have been able to scale the garbage, but they at least could have like congregated around and tripped over themselves at the bottom of the pile, right? Yeah, they could have at least tried. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I, you know, the I think they were safe up there, Rick and Michonne and Jadis. But it did seem like the zombies were like, eh, we can't get them. Let's go look over here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Let's wander around in circles because they do that. I mean, this is this might be uh, 
previous uh, residual memories from their life. Uh-huh. Remember the, uh, the the scavengers? They wander around in kind of weird patterns. They do. Uh, they've been doing that for a while. So maybe this they're just reverting to their weird patterns. Like, oh, there's nothing else to do. We might as well walk around in the circles we've been doing for the last three years. Yep. Residual memories. They, it, they're examples all over the show. So I bet you that's yeah. it. That's probably it. So Jadis tells them what happened and she... She mentions, here's another clue, Jason. She mentions that these weren't heaps before, just trash. So she's trying to say, she's, she's subtly indicating that we created something here, either out of something else or with a specific purpose in mind. So where did the trash come from? It's not trash. It's not garbage. It's, it's, it's junk, but it, it's, um, it's scrap, but it's not scrap because... Scrap, when you, I don't know if you've ever been to a scrap dealership, uh, but there was a big one in the Sioux when I was growing up. Uh, and There's a casino now, there now, by the way. Uh, but the, the junk that was piled up, when you brought a truckload of scrap to this place, the first thing they did was sort it. Aluminum goes over there, steel goes over there, yep. uh, uh, stuff like that. This is all just random junk or random scrap. There's couches, there's uh, car doors, there's metal, there's refrigerators, there's, there's mattresses, there's uh, old uh, tanks, dishwashers, like a tank is in like a hot water tank, Yep. not as in like a, an actual you know, tank tank. Sure. Anyway, it just, it all seems all mixed together. So it's not really, I don't think it was a scrapyard and I don't think it was a garbage dump. It's really weird, this place. And it, it really didn't come to my fore mind until this episode. She also says, though, that that she used to come here to find stuff for her art, like to find stuff to paint. So that kind of indicates that it was there before the outbreak. And so she knew about it, um, at you know, after the zombie outbreak and decided it was a place to come uh, that she might be might be safe. So, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of clues here that so far don't really add up to anything for me. Yeah, it's it's very strange. And, and then I you, hope they resolve this. Yeah, and then you throw in a, a helipad and uh, solar panels and whatever else Simon was talking about, and it gets even weirder. So, well, the solar panels I can understand. I mean, you'd wander around a bit, you're going to find some solar panels, and you're going to go, "Hey, holy shit, those are those can generate electricity. I should take those." Yeah, yeah. Those and then are... you set up a solar farm. I mean, that's not really that outlandish, but you know, to take go to a garbage dump and build a helipad. That's a bit odd. Yeah, that's a bit odd. Jada says that after the outbreak, she realized that people uh, were the paint <laughs> and that they could become anything, or sorry, they could become something new. Uh, meaning that, you know, she used to create art out of stuff, but now the people are fresh and there's an opportunity to create some sort of new community here. And that's what she was trying to do. They did that. But now it's all gone because Simon killed everybody and she's the only one that's left. And all of this speaking she does here was done in normal English, <clears throat> normal English sentences. So maybe part of the uh, creating something new was to develop, you know, a simplified language that, yeah. uh, that people could use going forward. So she is part of her art. It's lingual art, let's say. Yeah, exactly. But um, it's kind of all coming together, what 
you know, what she was trying to do there. Uh, Rick isn't really all that interested right now, though. He finds a car door, makes a shield out of it, and says he's going to make a run for it. That and sounds like a, it's a very uh, Incredible Hulk thing to do. <laughs> Just right? pick, up a, pick up something and start smashing like a car, like the Hulk would pick up a car and use it as a shield. But, you know, uh, just picking up a car door and using it as a shield. First of all, what are you going to hang on to? Like the, well, that, like really? That's, uh, oh no, I was going to say that's why he bent those, those metal bars down, but he turned it around and ran the other way. But car doors are good because they've got handles for opening and closing. I mean, you've got stuff to grip <laughs> onto there. Yeah, but it's the car door handle is meant for you to be able to open and door open and close a door that's on like uh, that's affixed to a hinge. Yeah, it's yeah. not it's not in the center of the the mass so that it's easy to carry. Fair enough. Uh, uh, yeah, a, a car door as a shield would be an incredibly stupid, awkward thing to do. Besides the fact that it's, uh, I guess it's an old car, so it's made out of steel. Uh, but you know, anything that's new today would be aluminum and plastic, right? Which wouldn't be all that helpful. Not quite as good maybe, but it's still, it's still against zombies. It's fine because it's not like a human being would be able to bite through a, uh, a sheet of aluminum. No. And I mean, it's, it would be lighter. So if it was made of steel, it'd be heavier. So, and, and it's enough to act as a shield and knock some zombies down. Uh, that's what they do. I think Jadis's idea was much better. Let's use this metal chair that I found. It's a little smaller though, but yeah, she does the same thing with a chair. Uh, anyways, Rick and Michonne kind of push their way through the zombies with their shields and get to the shipping container and they make their escape. Jadis is following them with the chair, as you said, and Rick, he aims his gun at her, but then shoots over her head as they leave the junkyard. Now we get some straight up shots of Jadis's art (laughs) and we see her banging the ground to attract all the zombies. And it turns out what she's doing is luring them towards some kind of garbage grinding machine. And as they get near, they all sort of funnel up towards it. She turns it on and they all fall in and they get mashed up into a big bowl of zombie chili. Oh my God. Okay. So this, there's, there's a lot here to unpack. Um, The first thing is that this setup was probably pre-designed like this was in order to uh if any zombies got in this is was set up so that they could get rid of them um so she's using that against the uh the zombies that are in there so that's that's the first thing the second thing is that uh this kind of grinder uh it may be upsetting to hear for some listeners but uh so a little bit of a warning here uh you're familiar with chickens i am Okay, so you know what a chicken is and that they lay eggs, and uh, uh, usually it's the females that lay eggs, so you don't need a lot of males. Uh-huh. So when they are, uh, they have a lot of chicks that they need to sort into females and males. When they have a female, they throw it into a bin. When they have a male, they throw it into one of these grinders that grinds up the little baby chick. Uh, and that's how they dispose of the males. They just stick them in a giant chicken mashing grinder and move on with their day? That's correct. And uh, I'm not sure how I saw a video on this one time, but I watched a video on on this. I think it's one of those things where, you know, you have to be aware of the food you eat because there's a lot of cruelty going on in the food industry. Yep. And this is an example of that. And it was uh, quite horrifying. (laughs) And it absolutely reminded me of that. Zombies, no problem. Little baby chicks. 
it's really upsetting to see them go through a grinder like this. Well, I don't even want to talk about this anymore now that I've, <laughs> I've heard that. Yeah. Uh, Sorry. That's but, why I put a, a warning on top of it because uh, it, it actually is quite upsetting. You just turned half our listeners into vegetarians. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, anyways, Jadis is mashing the zombies into this and it's especially upsetting because these are all her former people. Like these are her friends and she she stands there crying as they they fall in and get crunched up, including zombie Brian and zombie Tamiel. It's pretty horrifying, actually, thinking about, yeah. you know, watching her having to stand there through this. I thought there was a 60 percent chance that she would jump in after. Me too. I honestly I, I had the same thought. I thought she's going to they're all going to go in and then we're just going to see her fall forward. Maybe not watch her actually go into the grinder, but she's going to jump in because she's got just nothing left. Yeah. But that was, that was, uh, the reason I didn't think that the, the other 40%, uh, was they have to keep her alive so that they can tell us what the hell's going on with this place. Oh God. I, yeah. It, Cause, uh, I, I didn't realize that, uh, that, uh, the point you brought up about Simon saying, I want to know that if you know, which means Simon knows, Right. But at this at this point when this was happening, I thought she was the only one who knew, who the only one left who knew. And I'm like, no, don't jump in, because I want to find out what's going on. So I was very glad to hear to see that she did not, uh, you know, suicide by grinder. Yeah, but man, the 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 mash or the mush or whatever it is coming out the other end of that thing was pretty nasty. <laughs> Just knowing yeah. what was going in, so um, really, really nasty, really gross. Uh, anyways, y we get a quick shot of, of, um, Jadis sort of lying down beside the thing, not really clear on how long she's there. And then her, you know, scene ends with her going to dig through some garbage, finding some canned applesauce in a filing cabinet and sitting and eating it. Yeah. Cause what are you going to do? You're going to save the applesauce? No. no way, man. You're going to eat that applesauce. Applesauce is good. Applesauce is pretty good and she needs to eat. All right. Final title card of the episode is Rick. So it all comes back to our main character, Rick. He's driving with Michonne and this is after they've left the junkyard. He's explaining that he didn't want Jadis dead, just gone. He, uh, he shot over her head on purpose. And, um, this kind of, to me, falls in line with what he promised Carl. You know, he's not going to kill everybody just for no reason. He just wanted Jadis out of the picture. So he let her live, uh, even though he let her live surrounded by zombies, but you know, what are you going to do? Uh, Michonne says that this is what Carl was talking about and that's what they should do when there's the, you know, when given the choice. But then Rick pulls the van over and he goes outside to the side of the road to read Carl's letter, but he does not. He decides to read the letter that Carl wrote to Negan first. Well, you have to, you have to monitor your, your child's communication with other people, with adults, especially. Oh, you're absolutely right. right. <laughs> so he needs to know what, what was said. Now there is a fairly quick shot of the letter and I freeze framed it a few times and wrote down as much as I could from the letter. I don't know if it's all that important because Rick kind of explains it to Negan in a sentence later on, but what I saw on the letter that Negan wrote was, I got bit, we didn't come home, I was just helping someone, you might be gone, maybe my dad made, maybe he killed you, but I don't think so. 
I think you are working on a way out. Maybe you got out. Maybe lost cause and you just want to kill all of us. Uh, obviously, this isn't sort of completely uh, coherent just because of uh, what I could see. Uh, it goes on. I think you have to be who you are, what you wanted. I wanted to. Maybe you'll beat us. If you do, Way Out is working together. It's forgiveness. So that was everything I could read from the letter to Negan. All right, good. Because I, I did try and freeze frame it, and I got the gist of some of it, but I'm glad you uh, wrote that all down. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's sort of partial, but you kind of get the idea. Um, and this is the point now where Rick calls Negan on the walkie. So we know that Negan's already received this call. Negan comes on and Rick tells him that Carl's dead and that he wrote a letter to him, to Negan. Rick uh, says the letter asks both of them to stop and asking, uh, it asks them for peace. So that's kind of the summary of it all right there. Um, Rick says it's, it's too late for that and he's going to kill Negan. So forget what Carl said. I'm still killing Negan. Good. Right. Now, Negan, to me, he seemed genuinely upset about Carl, and he asks how it happened. He wants to know if it was them, if it was the grenades and, you know, the fire attack that they put on Alexandria, which I thought was interesting. You know, Negan, I got the feeling, was genuinely feeling guilty about potentially being the one who killed Carl. Yep. I got that too. Yeah, it was, uh, he was, we saw a rare moment of, uh, Negan's sincerity here. Yeah, exactly. And he explains that he wanted Carl to be part of his plans. And he even goes so far as to call Carl the future. That kid is the future. Not anymore, of course, but, uh, you know, <laughs> maybe his ideas can live on beyond him and he can still influence the future. At least I'm sure Carl was hoping so anyways. Now, of course, Rick is super hostile still. And, uh, that kind of, I think brings Negan back to his normal personality because he now says that Carl is dead because of Rick. He says, because Rick couldn't leave them alone and he wasn't there to stop Carl from doing something stupid and, you know, kind of gets back to his Negan-ness in, uh, telling Rick that his son is dead and it's all his fault. Yeah. Um, well, that's what that's, you know, when you call somebody who's uh manipulative and you try and reason with them chances are you're going to get manipulation back you're not going to get the response you want you're not going to get the dialogue or discourse that you were hoping for right so uh if you call crazy expect crazy <laughs> that's a that's a good way of putting it absolutely <sighs> uh rick rick just continues he says negan is the next one will be the next one to die. Uh, but Negan says, no, stop making more stupid decisions that lead to more death. You got to stop that, Rick. And uh, Negan goes so far as to tell Rick that he's, he failed as a leader and failed as a father. That is harsh. <laughs> That's why you don't call Negan. No. That's why you don't call him because he, this is what he does. He manipulates and he doesn't think that he's wrong and doesn't recognize the fact that he's, uh, you know, he initiated all this crap. Yeah. Uh, you know, that Rick was just living a nice peaceful life in Alexandria, you know, sure. He had to murder people every now and again, but you know, it was really necessary. At, it seemed necessary at the time, but, uh, you know, Negan does not think he's wrong. So no can tr calling him in order to have a logical 
discussion where they put down, uh, you know, put down their arms and try and live peacefully, it's not going to happen. You're not going to get the conversation you want. Don't don't make that call. No. This was that was this is Rick's biggest mistake making this call because it's just going to upset him more. That's right. He he wants he thinks he's going to call him and be able to say, you know, you bastard, I am I'm coming for you. And you know, I've told you two or three times before that I'm going to kill you, but I'm going to tell you again. But you're right. It just doesn't play properly and Rick doesn't get the response he he expects. He is unable to uh um intimidate Negan. Yeah. Right? which I think is something, you know, Rick doesn't try to intimidate people a lot, but I think he's able to when he needs to, uh, but not in this case. Anyways, Negan finally tells Rick to just give up because he's already lost and cut to black episodes over. Yeah. I think that, I, I think that Rick would have not made this call if in his life he had, uh, at least two or three more extremely unhealthy relationships, uh, because then at least he'd be at, at a point where he would know not to make that call that it's just not worth it. Yeah. It's not going to work out. So, yeah. You know, that's, uh, that's one thing that, uh, I'm actually pretty happy with, uh, in my life is that, uh, you know, it took me a long time to find my wife and to, uh, to fall in love with her and get married. Like we were a little, uh, a little bit older. We didn't meet when we were young, but at least we had the opportunity to go through a whole bunch of shitty relationships and recognize when a good one comes along. Hey, you know, to be fair, I kind of found your wife. That's true. You <laughs> did find my wife, but, uh, I, I married her. <laughs> good point. <laughs> you marry your, you married your own wife, but I, you know, you're the complete, uh, not the complete opposite, but you were, uh, you know, you were high school sweethearts with your wife, right? No, we did not meet until we were, we were out of high school, but we were young. Well, you were out of high school. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't know her in high school. Uh, but it was within two years after high school. So right. we were young, just not crazy young. Oh, I see. Yeah. Oh, that, that's good. Not that people who met in high school are crazy and just saying to each other. <laughs> no, but you were in a relationship for a while and you met when you were young. And that's, I think that's very sweet. Whereas yeah. I had to go through a whole bunch of shitty relationships and so did Jenny and we found each other eventually. And it all worked out in the end. So far. Yeah. All right. Great. Well, <laughs> I hope it continues to. Um, Me too. But man, I really love this episode. Me too. I, I think this was, uh, this is right up there in my top three episodes of all time. I thought this was fantastic. All time, man, that is saying something. I like, I can probably list three episodes that were, were, I liked better than this one, but this is, to me, this was the best episode of season eight. And like, it's, it's the happiest I've been with an episode in quite some time. And I've liked some and I've disliked some and so on, but I just thought everything about this this one was handled really well, you know, starting with this sort of slightly different style they took with the title cards and the camera work, um, and this, and the somewhat nonlinear nature of the storytelling in this one, that all worked really well for me. Yeah. I, th I think, uh, this spoke to my OCD need to have things organized. Uh, so they had nice clear title cards. And in each section under the title card, they had, uh, you know, a clear story. Sure, we had uh, we had the messing with time, but they had a way of tying that all together with the blue paint and Simon and, and Rick showing up. And I thought that was really well done. But I, I think that the uh, that this this story was so well organized 
that it really made my, made me happy from an OCD point of view. Yeah, totally. That's a good way of describing it. It was just really well organized and it played out in a, and again, even though the time was played with a bit, it played out in a very clear and just straightforward way. It's, this was one of the best written episodes or, you know, the writing was good, but just the whole concept of it was really good. The, you know, best conceived episodes in a while, I think on the show. So I'm really happy with it. I loved everything with Rick and Michonne. As I already said, I thought the cold open was great. One of my favorites, um, Negan, you know, everyone who's been listening for a while knows my overall thoughts on JDM as Negan, but here's another episode where he was, I thought really, really good because Negan was toned down a little bit. And I went back to, or I thought about it and, you know, Negan, uh, most of his scenes were one-on-one with somebody else in this episode. It was one-on-one with Simon or it was, uh, on the, on the walkie with Rick. And those are the scenes where I think Jeffrey Dean Morgan does the best work as Negan because he tones it down a little bit. He's not grandstanding so much for in front of an audience and he's just so much better. So. Yeah. Great. Yeah. He was very toned down and, uh, I forget the point that I was going to make. I think I just agree with you. Yeah. He's, he's, he's just so much better when, when they put him in situations like this, rather than when he's standing up in front of a group and doing his Negan thing, you know, it's it, I just find it so much more believable when he's toned down Negan. And then, and then the scene with, um, finding out that Carl is dead, you, you genuinely see I think anyways, a slightly different side to him where he's, he's actually upset about it. And, uh, you know, I can't say he was lost for words or anything, but you know, you feel like he, he didn't know exactly what to say in that scene. And that's, (laughs) that's a rarity for that guy. Yeah, absolutely. And then we can't finish without saying how friggin' fantastic Stephen Ogg is as Simon there is something special about that guy as an actor <laughs> and as a character and man, oh man, was he great. Yeah. It, uh, it's always nice to have uh, an episode with uh, uh, a high Simon content. It was. And him uh, standing in that junkyard and talking to, to Jadis, you know, we got some scenes like that back at Hilltop where he's sort of asserting himself over Gregory and those were all really good, but this was just, taking it to the next level. And for some reason, this character doesn't bother me at all when he's grandstanding in front of a group and, and really putting it on like it does with Negan. So, uh, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I thought Simon was fantastic here. Yeah. And just super entertaining. So great episode. Uh, I hope everyone else liked it as, as much as we did. And this is what we want. Walking dead, like, uh, a cool episode that uh, just conceptually is, is awesome. And, you know, everyone does a great job. So give us more like this. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Let's take a very short break. There's more to come after this. So stay with us.
I know what you're thinking, everybody. You're wondering, how can we support the Talking Dead podcast? Because that's what we want to do. Well, I think the easiest way is to visit us on Patreon at patreon.com slash thetalkingdead, where you can submit a small monthly pledge, which just helps us with the cost of putting on the show each uh, week or twice, twice a week. Um, I'd like to thank a few uh, listeners who have done that. Rebecca A. and Paul N., big thanks for becoming patrons recently at the $3 a month level. And then also to Laura M. for extremely generously subscribing at the $10 per month level, which is absolutely fantastic. Now, normally, at $10 per month, we are more than happy to make a shout-out for you know, for you on your behalf on the show to pretty much whatever you want. But Laura opted not to, so uh, we will leave it at that. But thank you so much, Laura, and everybody else for supporting us on Patreon. If you want to check that out, visit patreon.com slash thetalkingdead and uh, learn about the different levels of support. It's a great way to help us out. If you have any questions, send me an email. Uh, Otherwise, all the information is there at patreon.com slash thetalkingdead. Thanks so much to everyone for supporting us over there. That man sleeping with me Well, I didn't know his name I remember Granny told me Don't play the devil's game Oh, blessed Savior Blessed Savior Blessed Savior Call me home From now on I'll be a good girl Holy crap. Did you see that? Okay, welcome back to the program, everybody. It is time for Holy Crap, Did You See That? Relatively uh, quick segment here. We're going to start with a call from Designer Will. Holy crap, did you see Jadis grind everyone she knew into a bloody pulp? That was disgusting. Now, besides that, the main reason I want to call out this scene was because I was actually surprised. I thought Jadis was going to have all the walkers come and bite her, and then she pulled the old trash compactor switcheroo, where, um, again, I didn't see that coming, and the whole entertainment value of being surprised and caught off guard, which hasn't happened a lot lately, was definitely awesome in this uh, scene. So that's my holy crap. Thanks, Designer Will. And I think that just kind of reinforces the point that this episode was... Awesome, and it had some surprising moments that are, in a way, have been few and far between lately. Yeah, and some uh, some really good grossities. <laughs> That's right, some really disgusting gore. Uh, you know, watching those people, or I mean, their people, those zombies falling into the grinder, like they showed some of them kind of being ground down, and it was... It was horrific. Like, imagine if those weren't zombies, Jason, and those were actual living people falling in there. You might be closing your eyes and scarred for life. No, oh, I'm already scarred for life. And <laughs> that definitely reminded me of the scars that I have uh, already in my brain. Okay, well, yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, I, I had to look away. I was, uh, it, was, it was nasty. I was uh, super gross. The only thing that really didn't gross me out was the pile of meat byproduct for some reason it looked very uh it didn't look like ground beef 
No, I thought it looked right? like chili. That's why I called it zombie chili earlier. Oh, yeah, it kind of looked, well, I don't know how you make chili, but uh, <laughs> it was a lack of beans in there. Well, Usually he, my chili has more beans. Oh, yeah, our, ours too, but I just think the color and consistency maybe <clears throat> was a little chili-ish. Anyways, that's disgusting. Well, we have that, uh, you remember that zombie cookbook that uh, yeah. somebody sent us? That was all, Is there a zombie chili in there that we could uh, we could make? <laughs> Well, I think we have to now. I, yeah. There probably is. <laughs> yeah. It's weird that uh, you say zombie chili or you say chili, the, the pile of ground up uh, zombies made me think, uh, hey, I, we might have a recipe and I think I might be hungry. It's, maybe I can eat that. <laughs> I think maybe I've gone over the edge here. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> that is weird and gross. Thank you, Will, for that. Another call here from Chris. This is Chris from New Orleans. Holy crap. Did you see how much screen time Simon got? <laughs> that's it and and i must admit i can't tell if that's a positive or a negative for it's chris positive but for you and me that is a positive 100 percent. i choose positive yeah i think so and you know uh more simon the better i the way i see it all simon all the time that's uh that's my motto jeremy in indianapolis writes just wanted to say holy crap simon just took out the trash people <laughs> i can't wait <laughs> I can't wait to hear what Jason has to say about uh, his man crush. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty, that was pretty nice. Took out the trash people. Right. There, <laughs> there's, there's no comma in, in what Jeremy wrote, but I think that's what he was going for. <laughs> that's awesome. It's really good. Thank you, Jeremy. Sean on the internet writes, those poor junkie sons of bitches should have just started shooting the minute the saviors walked through the door. They lost but properly spoken English language certainly won. Yeah. They should have started shooting when they went to the, uh, the savior's compound instead of running away. I guess so, but I'm not sure that would have changed the feeling that the saviors have towards them, <laughs> but yeah. you know, maybe it would have been a different outcome. I don't know. Anyways, Sean is just glad that properly spoken English won the day. That's true. And I am too, frankly. Ryan on the internet writes, Holy crap, the look on Negan's face when he heard Carl died, just when I thought I had nothing but hate in my heart for him. It's complicated. <laughs> <laughs> right? So everyone's feeling a little for Negan there. He just lost yep. his, uh, he lost the boy or the kid that he decided was the future of this world. How can they go on he, from that? Well, yeah, I guess. Uh, so what did I learn from this episode? That Negan's going to live and be part of the uh, community going forward, and Simon has to die. And oh. I really kind of wish it was the other way around. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I don't, I don't know. I, I still think Negan has done such horrible things, but then so is Rick. So I don't know. Maybe oh. Simon and Morgan will team up and be a cop buddy show or something later on. I don't know. Simon will go with Morgan out to the West Coast and visit Madison that, and everybody on fear. That'd be fine. I'd be fine with that. Yeah, me too, actually. That'd be fun. Just just don't kill him. As long as he's alive somewhere. Yeah. All right. Adam in Texas writes, friend of the show, Adam writes, the big holy crap was a tie between the face peel zombie at the gate. Yes, that was awesome. And Jadis turn, turning all her junk people into cat food. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if when she finishes that applesauce, she scoops them up and paints a friggin' cat logo on the side. We know she's got the skills. Nasty. Yeah, very nasty. Rick in Kingsville, Ohio, sent in a few, uh, two of them here. 
Uh, he writes, just one day after Carl's death, holy crap, just one day after Carl's death, Rick goes against his promise, I'll make it real, I will, by turning back into raging Rick and telling Negan, I'm going to kill you. That didn't take very long. And then the second one, Stephen Ogg demonstrates the correct way to call bullshit with the best right. line read in the series. <laughs> that was pretty good. Bullshit. I can't do it justice, but he really delivered that line. And, and Rick calls it the best line read of the whole series. Eight seasons. It's pretty good. You know, that reminds me, Jason. We want people to enter our Record Your Favorite Scene contest. And uh, technically, your entry can be one word. <laughs> but I yeah. think, I don't know that we've gotten a Simon entry. So I'm putting the call out there, everyone. Enter our Record Your Favorite Scene contest with a Simon scene, this one or otherwise, but come on. Simon is a guy you want to, um, you know, record and submit for the contest. I think that's a great idea. I think it's a fantastic idea, and uh, I think people should uh, call in with uh, one-word entries, let's say. It, it can happen. There's, you know, it has to be at least one word. Um, but, uh, <laughs> there's no, if you can figure out a way to do it with no words, fine. I guess, but no heavy breathing, please. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as long as that's, you know, no, just heavy breathing. If you heavy breathe a little bit and then something else, that's okay. All right. Uh, two more. Gemma in South Wales writes, my holy crap moment was Simon when he shouted bullshit at Jadis. It reminded me of Gregory in season six saying rhetorical. <laughs> <laughs> I guess Simon is spending too much time with Gregory. Yeah. Good stuff. Finally, Michael from London. Uh, my holy crap this week is holy crap. I didn't know Tarantino did a Kill Bill 3. Got to do... Uh, got to love a title card and some over-the-top samurais. So That's right. Not the only people who clued into that kind of connection right there. All right. Um, super fun, super great episode. Uh, like I said earlier, I hope you guys all liked it as much as we did. And Jason, I also hope that... Uh, I think you sound okay. I mean, the Skype gods seem to have held up. I know we're not quite done, but so far so good. <laughs> Uh, but otherwise, sorry for the slightly different audio quality this week, everyone. Hopefully it's listenable and, uh, we should be back to normal for the next podcast. For Thursday. Yeah, absolutely. I'll be back. Uh, I'll be back at home, so it shouldn't be a problem. All right. You're going to bring me a fancy bottle of bourbon from the South, the Southern U S where you are. I can't imagine doing that, but we'll see. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying it's okay. I don't need any. I got lots of bourbon. No. <laughs> Um, I got all the bourbon I can drink yeah. tonight. Well, that's and probably for the next three months. Right. Okay. Thank you so much for tuning in, everyone. Send in your feedback for our feedback show, which is coming up this Thursday. If you'd like to do that, the best way is to visit our website at talkingdeadpodcast.com. Click on send voicemail up near the top, and you can record a message right into your computer, which gets emailed to us. You can also, of course, use your phone, record a voice memo and, and email it as well. That's a really good way to maximize audio quality. Um, but you can also just send emails into talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. Would love to hear your feedback on this episode and uh, tell us why you agree or disagree with us that this was the best episode of season eight so far. 
Uh, I look forward to hearing those responses. You can also, of course, find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the talking dead or at talking dead on Twitter, which to be honest, is not the best way to get in touch with us because our Twitter feed gets overwhelmed with people who think this is the AMC Chris Hardwick show talking dead. So it's hard to weed through that sometimes. But those are all the way to contact us. Thank you so much for tuning in. Stay tuned for a really quick after hours uh, at the end of this uh, podcast. But until next time, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Bye. All right, Jason, I want to do a really quick after hours here because uh, I is it, just... Is it one word? Is it one word? Uh, it is grinder. <laughs> Bullshit. Oh, yeah, that's the word. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, a listener named Jennifer Markey, and uh, in this case, I don't mind saying her, her full name. I don't usually use people's full names just in case people don't want their names read on the, on the uh, or mentioned on the podcast. But Jennifer sent us, she sent me an email and said she wanted to mail us a little present. And okay. I was like, sure, no problem, as long as it's nothing weird. Because, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you never know. People out there, you never know. Uh, but she sent in um, a CD, a music CD that she came across in her collection. And she decided that we should have it, Jason. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. So if I say to you the name Figrin Dan and the Modal Nodes, do you know what that means? Ah, <sighs> Modal Nodes. I know what all those words mean individually, but if you put them all together like that, I, the, the actual meaning escapes me. Well, you know, I think you will recognize the music, which I don't have queued up, sadly, but Figrin Dan and the Modal Nodes, I'm sure people out there are, you know screaming into their phones right now. How dare you not know who that is? But that is the name of the Cantina Band from Star Wars. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, Jennifer... I mean, I'm, I'm a nerd, but not that much of a nerd. Well, you know, Jennifer pulled this CD single from her collection, Figuring Dan the Modal Nodes, featuring two tracks called Cantina Band and Cantina Band 2. <laughs> And right. sent it to us. And of course, it's the, it's the song that you know and probably have heard a million times, uh, especially when watching Star Wars. Um, right. But it's cool. It's one of those CDs where um, it's just two tracks. So most of the disc is unused and it's just clear plastic where the actual right. engraved CD part is just in the middle. And it's got really cool artwork with the four or five... No, six. <laughs> six members um, of the band who are all <laughs> identical looking aliens, kind of their heads around it like that. And it is super cool. So I just wanted to say thank you so much, Jennifer, for sending this in. And uh, I love it. I think it's a neat little, neat little thing. Well, maybe people don't necessarily know that, that uh, when you, if you put on a, a vinyl record, you put the needle on the outside and it reads from the outside in. But a CD <laughs> reads from the inside, the center near the uh, the spindle, out to the edges. It does. That's absolutely correct. I don't know if everybody so, knows that. I know that, but no. and maybe not everybody knows that. But that, that's an interesting thing to do is uh, is to use that empty space as uh, a place for art.
Yeah, it's cool. It's really neat. It's a neat little thing. So thank you, Jennifer, for sending that in. That's wonderful. Now, in Jennifer's email, I noticed that she had some links to her own music in the at the bottom of the email. And I asked her about that as well. So she included her own CDs. She's a musician in, in the package as well. And she sent in two of her albums. One is called The Sparta Session by Jennifer Markey and the Tennessee Snowpants. Nice. <laughs> Fantastic name. Love that. And the other one is called We're All Going to Hell by Jennifer Markey. So that's more, maybe more of a solo effort. Right. Um, but yeah, for all of us, really solo effort of, you know, we're all going to hell individually. We're all going to hell. Yeah, exactly. Um, I am going to uh, play one of her songs during our break in the middle of the episode. A little peek behind the curtain here. I haven't decided which one yet, which is why I couldn't sort of announce it on the podcast, but it'll be there. And if you are looking for more information, uh, I will post links to Jennifer's uh, music in the show notes for this episode on our website at talkingdeadpodcast.com. So check that out if you want to. And I just wanted to say thanks to Jennifer for sending this in and including Figrin Dan and the modal nodes doing Cantina Band and Cantina Band 2. Nice. (laughs) All right. We'll be back on Thursday, everyone, with feedback. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you.